Several years ago, before I met Chris, uh, I visited what is a, uh, often called a tourist trap in old Colorado City outside of Colorado Springs. When you drive from Colorado Springs, you go through uh, Manitou Springs, old Colorado Springs, towards Pikes Peak. A lot of touristy things there. But uh, this one was uh, an attraction that had, had been there for years. A lot of them have. And it was, uh, it was a cave that I, that I toured, a Cave of the Winds. This cave was discovered in the late 1800s, and you know, it was really neat, really neat tour. They, ha- they offer two different tours. One of them is uh, called the, uh, the Discovery Tour, where you walk on uh, well-manicured paths, concrete paths, steps with, with rails, you know, very, very tame. That was, that's worth doing. But uh, the other one, the other one is called the Haunted Lantern Tour. And in the Haunted Lantern Tour, the, uh, according to the advertisement, you, you get to visit the unimproved Manitou Ground Caverns on a 90-minute guided tour, which includes nearly a mile of walking. And it says, like the adventures of the past, you will navigate dark, narrow tunnels, low passageways, uneven stairs, and rooms with muddy original floors. Really cool. Anyway... At one point on on this tour, and I, I think there were maybe about twenty people on this tour, the uh, the the tour guide said, "Okay, you know, make sure you got firm standing here. I'm going to turn out the lantern that he was that he was carrying." So he, he turned off this lantern, and I have never never experienced such pitch darkness. There was no light whatsoever, utter darkness. You could you could feel it. It was it was uh, strange, really, you know, and it's like your your eyes are trying to adjust to this, and they just they just can't. And uh, I, I don't I don't know how to describe it because I've I've never before and never since been in that kind of utter darkness before. But after a moment, the the tour guide he he lit a match and and held it up, and this one little flame, this this flickering flame from this match lit up the, the cavern. And then when he lit the lantern back up, it was just like a, a flood of light, just an amazing amount of light just from this this lantern. And, you know, I've thought of this experience from, from some you know, from, from time to time, you know, I think there's, I think there's a spiritual application here, how, how God has brought us from utter darkness of sin to his marvelous light. You know, in particular, I'm reminded of what Paul says in Colossians 1, 12 through 14, and in his prayer for his readers, he says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now, as can you recall our study in 1 Peter? Do you remember this verse? This was 1 Peter 2.9. Peter says that, speaking of the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, for his, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Now, as we continue our, our study of 
1 John, picking up in chapter 1, verse 5. We see John embracing this, this idea, this concept of the contrast between darkness and light. In fact, he makes a, a very bold statement about God, about the nature of God. He says that God is light. Read with me, starting in verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, or the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Lord, I pray that uh, we listen to your words today. Lord, as, as Jim prayed this morning, Lord, let your spirit, let your Holy Spirit anoint me as I speak your word. Lord, that we would hear it, take it in, listen. And apply it to our lives, Lord. Change us. Transform us, Lord, with with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last time we we talked about fellowship. Remember this this book is about love. John was the the apostle of love. He was the the beloved apostle. Very major theme in this, this book is love. Major theme in this book is light. A major theme in this book is fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. And remember the, uh, the Greek word that's used here, you've, you've probably heard this, koinonia, koinonia for fellowship. It's close association involving mutual interests and sharing, communion, fellowship, cro- close relationship. You get the, uh, the meaning of this word. It's, it's tight, fellowship and love with each other. That's what God's desire is for us to have fellowship with him and for us to have fellowship with each other so john continues this idea you know looking at how our our fellowship is affected by our sin how we utterly need god he you know having give us given us the purpose he now identifies his message he says this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you So the title of this sermon is Walking in the Light. Let's look at what it means to walk in the light. First, the statement, the idea that we need to start with God. God is light. God is light. John starts his section with this bold statement, this this unequivocal fact upon which the following discussion is, is based it's a, it's a statement 
of contrast, a statement again about God's very nature. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So what does it mean that God is light? We see a lot of imagery throughout the Old Testament and the New. Back in the Old Testament in the beginning, what we see this in the first four verses, right? About the contrast between darkness and light. Very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And it was good. You know, that, that light is, is separate from the darkness. The light dispels the darkness, just as, as in that cave, the, the darkness that you could feel just was gone as the light flooded from that lantern. In one glorious instant, one glorious instant, we see the glory of God revealed. The darkness of verse 2 dispelled. By God's word, there was light and it was good. When John asserts that God is light, he's, he's bringing up this Old Testament imagery. And in Exodus 3, Moses experiences God as, as fire, the light of fire. In Exodus 13, God makes his presence known as fire again as he, as he lights the way for the Israelites as they uh, travel in the desert through the darkness. In the tabernacle, God's present is, presence is signified by fire on the golden lampstands. Fire brings light, and so similarly, God is described as light. So Psalm 104.2 said that God wraps himself in light as with a garment. And the psalmist appeals to God. He says, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. I love that. Let the, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You know, God's working among his people is consistently described as bringing us the light, which dispels the darkness. Now, John's going to develop this as he goes along. Let me point out here, there's a, there's a definite link between God's light and God's love. And we're going to see that as we go through the book. You know, in, in verse 3, 11, John says, this is the message we've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. He says here, God is light. 4, 7, he says, God is love. God is light. God is love. This is the nature of our, our God. 4, 7, he says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born from God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Anyone who does not love does not go God, that not know God. That is a very strong and bold statement. So having established the, uh, the nature of God for love is from God, God, John gives us three statements that, that we might make. These are 
you know, three potentially false statements. Three false statements. He says, if we say, if we say this, let's, let's look at these false statements. And then he counters each of these with a, with a solution. And the solution is Jesus Christ. Well, let's, let's look at these. Um, we must walk in the light. Hold on with, with those uh, if we say statements. That, that comes later. We must walk in the light, John says. What, what does it mean to walk in the Bible? You know, that's, that's how we live. That's how we, we conduct ourselves day to day. That's how our, our values and our beliefs affect the way we live practically. Many times there can be a, a great disconnect between the things we say we believe, the things we say we value, and the way we actually live. You know, for instance, I, I think we would all here agree that we should love one another. We, we would say that's one of our core values, but how does it translate? How does it translate in our lives? You know, if we truly love one another, why do we see so much division and discord? I saw this video, somebody had posted this on Facebook, and I hardly ever look at Facebook, but I was glad I did this time because this video was something that really penetrated me. There was this guy in a third world country, you could tell, tasked with the, uh, the job of splitting a rock. It was this big boulder, and the only tools he had were a sledgehammer, and some wedges. So he started these wedges, one at the top, one here, just a line of wedges, tapped them in. He ended up with, I think, maybe about eight, nine, ten wedges from the top to the bottom of this rock. Once he got them, once he got them set, he just hit, hit these wedges one at a time, starting with the top, next one down, sling on this, sledgehammer. I felt winded after a while just watching him over and over. Long process. But then at one instant this rock just split right in half from the pressure of those wedges. Yeah, I was thinking this guy uh, could have done this a lot easier with with some dynamite. Uh, To quote Albert Mertz von Quernheim, who was a German army colonel and a resistance fighter in Nazi Germany, any problem on earth can be solved with the careful application of high explosives. You know, the trick is not to be around when they, when they go off. <laughs> anyway, this, this guy just kept hitting these wedges. And it made me think how we're guilty of driving wedges. The wedge of pride, boom. The wedge of anger, boom. The wedge of unforgiveness, boom. The wedge of slander, boom. The wedge of rebellion, boom. The wedge of hatred, boom. The wedge of... You get the idea. Over and over again, hitting these wedges, hitting these wedges, 
relentlessly in causing division among us. Destroying this fellowship that God desires for us to have. Do we love one another the way Jesus loved us? This is what he commanded of us. This is what we're commanded to do. We need to walk in the light. So what does it mean to walk in the light? John begins with with the negative here. Here are these, these points. And he starts off about walking in darkness. You know, maybe we really don't know the light until we've experienced its, experienced its absence. Notice that against the claim that God is light, here are some false claims. First, John says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Fellowship. Fellowship with God. Again, this this word koinonia, close association involving mutual interests and sharing association, communion, fellowship. So let me ask, how's our relationship with the Lord? How is our fellowship with him? Is Is it close? Do we share his interests? Do we share his desires? Do we share in his attitudes? Do we, do we long to be with him, to enjoy his presence? You know, if we say yes to these things, but we walk in the darkness of sin, living in disobedience, refusing to, to surrender fully to him, living in rebellion, we're, we're lying. Our fellowship with him is broken. We may claim to have fellowship with God, but uh, all we're doing is, is groping around in, in the dark, and it does not have to be this way. There's a much better way. You know, so there's a, there's a problem with saying that we have fellowship with God, but walking in the darkness, and God gives us a solution here. John gives us a solution from God. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Notice that John is pointing out when we have true fellowship with God, we have true fellowship with one another. Deficient fellowship with God leads to deficient fellowship with each other. You know, John says that walking in the light frees us from this darkness of of sin. It's he who cleanses us. It's he that we need. It's he who gives us the ability to uh, be holy and pure. John gives us the, the second false claim. He says, if we say we have no sin, We say we have no sin. I, a few years ago, I preached a sermon from First uh, Chronicles seven fourteen at, at another church. First Chronicles seven fourteen says, "If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear their prayers from heaven and I will heal their land." What a great promise! If we can do that as a church. 
what will God do? He'll heal our land. Well, anyway, there was a there was a small group of of men who met on Sunday mornings be, before church, and about four or five of them. And one of these guys, Jim, was his name. He he comes up to me and he says, "You know, we, this was like about a week later." He he said, "Pastor Tim." We've been thinking, we've been talking at our, our group about what you said in, in that sermon. He said, would, would you come and talk to us about this? I'm thinking, yes. It's, it's, always, it's always good to know people are listening to the sermon. I was, I was stoked. And I said, yes. So I, I went there and, and Jim, he goes, and he's got this very uh, sincere look on his face. Uh, I, I love Jim, Jim Smith. And he said, you know, we're humble. We, we pray. Um, we don't sin. So why aren't we seeing revival in our church? And um, he, was, he was sincere. He was serious. And, um, you know, I just, I just had to humbly say, you know, if I... If I ever tell any of you guys that I don't sin, please, please correct me because the Bible says that I'm a sinner. The, the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. There's, there's none righteous, no, not one, and we all sin. But it's not a hopeless situation. Our... You know, our, our natural tendency as sinful people, sinful humans, is that we are we are disposed to denial. You know, we, we keep silent as we continue our sin. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin, which is his it's what he does, we ignore him. We say, No, I'm all right. Uh, my sin's no big deal. I'm, I'm, I'm much better than most everybody I know. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I don't think we're deceiving anybody else because they know us. But we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Self-deception. The third, if we say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his, his word is not in us. Yeah, I'm, af- I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that many times, probably most times, we don't take sin as seriously as we need to. You know, even, even the word sin is something we don't hear very often. I had a, I had a co-worker in Montana, an unsaved young man, Jonathan, who, when I was talking to him about the gospel, about sin and how we need to come to Jesus because there's, there's really no alternative. He, uh, he accused me of being hateful for suggesting that he would sin or that anyone would sin. Of course, he had a, he had a little picture of a, a sea turtle on his desk he he sponsored this this sea turtle 
And uh, one day when I was talking to him about this, this sea turtle, he said, you know, it's just evil what we're doing to these sea turtles. Maybe he was right. But if we say we have no sin, if we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. In, uh, in one of his sermons, Fleming Rutledge says, uh, how do we measure the, the size of a fire? By the number of firefighters and fire engines sent to fight against it. How do we, how do we measure the seriousness of a medical condition? By the amount of risk doctors take in prescribing dangerous antibiotics or surgical procedures. How do we measure the gravity of sin and the incomparable vastness of God's love for us by looking at the magnitude of what God has done for us in Jesus, the son of God who became like a common criminal for our sake in our place. So what, what is sin? What is sin? And in the New Bible Dictionary, uh, I looked that up. And this, this one statement that is made, I think, is very good here. It says, the most characteristic feature of sin in all its aspects is that it is directed against God. It is directed against God. So the point of all this is we need to lay down our pride, humbly admit, humbly acknowledge our sin, and look to the Lord. He's, he's our only solution. He provides the way. His solution is forgiveness. John here says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's, he's faithful. When he, when he says he's going to forgive us, he's going to forgive us. He's faithful. He's much better at forgiving than we are. Have, have you ever sought someone's forgiveness and they said, yeah, I forgive you. And they keep punishing you. They keep bringing it up over and over again and coming up with ways to let you know that they have not forgiven you. They're still upset. They keep reminding you and everyone they know that you've wronged them. Wives, husbands, does this ring any bell for you? We're all guilty of this. But he's faithful. Where we are not, he is. He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from our sin. Thank God when he forgives us, he forgives us. When he says he is, he's faithful. The relationship is mended. The the fellowship is restored. And it's not like God's like an indulgent grandpa just saying, Oh, it's okay, you know, boys will be boys. No, he's just, he's faithful and he's just. Sin has serious consequences. It separates us from God. It, it condemns us. But our sins, through his justice, his righteousness, our sins have been paid for, the penalty by the blood of Christ Jesus. And I love what Psalm 32 says. And we did a sermon on this a while back. Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you, he says. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my, my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That is beautiful. He's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, at the, at the end of chapter one, John had said that he was proclaiming this message of Jesus. He said so that, that you might have fellowship with him and our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus. Now he's continuing this thought. He says, little children, I am writing to you these things that you may not sin. You see the connection? You know, what, what happens to our fellowship? Our fellowship with God when we sin, it's, it's cut off. When we go our own way against God, we have turned our back on him. You know, it's hard It's hard to worship the king when you are at the same time rebelling against him. And that's what sin is. But we do sin. We all struggle to, to stay in close fellowship with, with our Lord. Uh, you know, that, that hymn says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. That describes me. Now, in, in passing, let's look at how John addresses the readers and, and us as uh, the Greek word is technia, which means little children. Little children. Remember, John's an old guy, and he considers himself the spiritual father of these these younger people. You know, this, this term also is, is used by Jesus in a, in a you know in loving address to his disciples in the Gospel of John, John reports that uh, it's it's not an insult. It's it's not demeaning. I guess I guess we need to be okay with considering ourselves to be little children. Remember Peter, in First Peter said, you know, as as beloved children, be imitators of God. Each of us. Each of us, me included, me first, each of us has growing up to do. Each of us has maturity in store that God desires for us. You know, we, we all struggle with sin. We, we need to be able to admit that. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 uh, gives, gives voice to this, this struggle. And you can just hear it in, in the way he says this. He says in Romans 7.21, so I find it to be a law that I want to do right. Evil, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he states the solution. 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So anyway, John is saying, I've written these things to you that you may not sin. Let's take seriously the sin in our lives. Let's, let's not take lightly broken fellowship with God. You know, we need that fellowship. We need to be close to him. Let's not be satisfied with broken fellowship with each other. We need that fellowship. We are the body of Christ and we are here, each one of us, to serve the body. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ is what Paul says. And really this is John's conclusion here as well. In verse 1 of chapter 2, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We need him. He, he took the sins of the world. He took our sins and he, he bore them on that cross. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God we've got an advocate in him. So in conclusion, let's take our sin seriously. It's a matter of life and death. It has eternal consequence. Our sin is a rebellion against God. He has a way, though, for us to have reconciliation, a way he wants us to go. When we choose another path, we're, we're sinning. You know, we go our own way and we, we break fellowship with him. You know, it's a, it's a walk in the dark. It's a self-inflicted blindness. You know, I, I shudder to think, and I, re- I remember thinking this at the time when I was in that cave. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be in this cave and have my light go out and no way to turn on that light. It was such utter darkness I would feel, you know what, I'm never going to get out of this cave. I'll I'll fall down. I'll fall down one of these pits or I'll just get lost and go further into further into the cave, further into my lostness, further into this utter darkness. That's the situation we're in without our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, God wants us to be with him. He wants us to walk with him in in his light. He wants us to be free from this darkness of sin and, and rebellion. And it is only through Jesus Christ that we can find the forgiveness and, and be restored. We have an advocate. You may recognize these lyrics from, from a hymn. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look for thee for grace. That's, that's rock of ages cleft for me. Let's pray together. Um, Father, in, in Jesus' name, by your Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you for taking us from the kingdom of darkness, from utter 
darkness and translating us into your marvelous light, taking us from utter depravity to the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for delivering us. Lord, we are we're helpless, we're weak, we are sinful. We, we acknowledge that, Lord, and we are so grateful, Lord Jesus, for your advocacy. Take us, Lord, and, and change us, transform us. Amen.